It's episode 14 of the Story Garden Pod, and I'm your host and story gardener, Megan Lang. This week's episode is a little bit long, and we're talking politics and activism, so buckle up. If you haven't gathered from prior episodes, I consider myself to be a progressive, but I'm really interested in having conversations where we find common ground, because I believe that there is common ground to be found with almost anyone. If you're feeling like you don't want to listen to this episode, I really hope that you will. Feel free to shoot me an email afterwards and let's talk. Now, I am excited to introduce today's guest, Nathan Hickton. Nathan is an activist, a campaign manager, a former candidate, a teacher, and a strong advocate for underserved communities. He was there at my first protest and uh, made me feel a million times more comfortable for what it's worth. He answers my calls every time, and there are a lot of them, and is generally just a great friend to have. He and I serve on the Tennessee Democratic Party Executive Committee together, and I like to think that we try to cause a little bit of good trouble every time we meet. Having said that, are you ready? It's time to grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us in the Story Garden. The within the mind, the same within your eyes. The waves soon engulf us, even if we kiss. I am Nathan Higdon. I was born and raised in Maryville, Tennessee. It's about 13 miles south Maryville. Knoxville. Yeah, <laughs> Maryville. Um... Let's see, I am a community activist, Mm -hmm. an organizer, um, very politically involved and engaged. Who, Um, you? I know, I know. Shocking, okay. And I am a marketing professor and I am a consultant with a DC based firm and we do social impact and thought leadership work uh, and most of that I do around uh, the research I've done from when I worked on my PhD which is around diversity equity and inclusion and you're a doctor and oh yeah a a PhD yeah not not the good kind nobody asked me to write you a script sorry can't help if he tries to do that we're all going to jail yeah it's not just it's we don't need any more mug shots no. these days. God, no. Uh, yeah. And I know Nathan because we serve on the uh, state Tennessee Dem executive committee together. Um, and he is mostly cool. Mostly. Mostly. Except when I'm not. When I'm not cool, I'm super uncool. <laughs> I mean, yes. To be fair... I probably am the same way. It's fine. Um, And we are drinking a beverage out of World's Fair glasses because it reminds me of Knoxville. And you know that's one of my earlier memories. Actually, I would have. I was born in January eighth, nineteen seventy nine, and so I was going to say you were you were young. I was about three and a half, and that's one of my earliest memories. We went the last day. The fair was open because oh my, my mother was pregnant with my younger brother. 
that whole year. Stop. And so um, we went, and it was right before he was born, but Mom, Mom I mean, I don't recall. She just part, wanted but to. She was like, yeah. I have to go. And so Mom, Dad, and I, and then my brother, right before he came into the world, went, and I remember going into the... Uh, the, my only memory of it is I remember seeing the sun sphere. Yeah. And then I remember the pavilion. I forget what its name was. It's no longer there. It's where all the big water feature is right behind the Got convention center. Got it. Behind center. the convention center. Yeah. But it was this like angular glass building. But I remember being in there and also remember being in what was formerly the convention center that's underneath the what's now the Marriott. It used to be the... Oh, Holiday okay. Inn. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It was yeah. the World's Fair site Holiday Inn. It was, I think it was purpose built for that. Cause, yeah. Know, that was one of the big things with Knoxville at that time. Is the World's Fair one really. Of, like, it was, what was it? So, Cherry Coke launched at the World's Fair. Petros. Petros. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love Petros. I have a can of Petros Vegetarian Chili in my pantry right now because it's my favorite it is a good fun guilty pleasure mine it, i love yeah. to get the veggie pe- uh, vegetarian mm-hmm. petro that's me too um and so i have my mom's poster oh. from and and it has her it so it was before she had i think it was before she met my dad and because i was born in 91 91 okay. yeah so it's francis facey is on the back of this poster hangs in Nick's office and I also have a shirt that was hers and over the years we've collected a lot of random memorabilia from like even ticket stubs oh wow um so I have shirts and I think I have a hat somewhere I have these cups I have pint glasses like we have (laughs) it's one of my special interests I, it is cool though. It really is like that. It came to to uh, our Knoxville. Yeah, to Knoxville. Okay, I'm, so you have to think of like the best story ever, and then you have to tell me three different ones, and they all have to be the best. Okay. So, drugs and alcohol are bad, kids. <laughs> Warning. Oh my gosh, I'm already concerned by this, but okay. So. August of 2014, I had some friends, uh, Wendy and David, who had moved to Hanoi, Vietnam, and we were like Skyping one night. What was the morning for them? But we were chatting, and they were like, oh, you should come visit or something. And I was drinking while, because it was evening for me, and I was like, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, that'd be cool. So anyway, (laughs) I go to bed, and I had like a bit to drink. The next morning, I wake up, and I'm checking my email, and I had redeemed frequent flyer miles <laughs> for a one-way ticket right after my birthday which was january so it was what six months later to hanoi vietnam one way well with the intention of building it into a, a bigger got trailer. it okay I was like, so what? i had redeemed in my united airlines account a first class international ticket to hanoi vietnam and so I fortunately you could within 24 hours you could you know kind of pull back on your 
your decision. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to roll with this. And I'm just going to string this together into an around-the-world trip. And what? I was, like, finishing up, or let's see, I had started my doctoral program January of that year. So it was like I was eight months into it. I was probably desperately needing uh, an escape. And so I decided I was just going to do it. And uh, and because the program I was in was predominantly remote, uh, and I knew what my meeting dates were going to be, like, because I went to Oklahoma State and for my PhD. And so I lived... A, week a month in the Aloft Hotel in downtown Tulsa for three and a half years while I would fly in and out and that's why you had so many points right so I was like all right I'm doing that and then as time went forward I'd piece together other flights and figure out that itinerary so you know flew into Vietnam um, then from there I went to and that was really cool. I got to go up into the Sapa region of Vietnam and wow. see the flower Hmong people. That's uh, amazing. That, like, it's really weird. Took an overnight train up. Uh, Hanoi was phenomenal. I'd go back and visit. Uh, did uh, a junk boat uh, what? weekend trip. I was in Vietnam, I think, for 11 days. It was uh, half of the entire trip was in Vietnam. Um, got some uh, suits and a tuxedo custom made. Yep. So that Vietnam was incredible. So I flew from Hanoi to Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia. Yeah. Oh, my and gosh. KL was really cool. I stayed in the Indian district of KL, that's where my friends who lived in Hanoi had previously lived at one point, and they're like, oh, you've got to go, it's great, the curries are phenomenal, true, 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 it all was. Uh, I'm mortified of heights, so mm-hmm. I was going to go up in the Patronus Towers, and I was like, but they charge you, and all this. And you're scared of heights, so it wasn't something so it that, silly. yeah. So what I did, and it's something that, it was a suggestion someone had made to me, and it's something I've adopted now, is I always find some fancy hotel and I'll go to their rooftop bar and have a drink and you get really good views. Oh! So I went up in the Mandarin Oriental Hotel and went to their rooftop bar. We had a great view just, you know, a few blocks away of taking a picture of the Patronus Towers. And so we'll we'll do that everywhere we go now because you, you can get a cocktail. Yeah. You can see the sunset. That's and like, it's, I totally recommend it. Whenever you're traveling go to the rooftop hotel bar you're gonna pay a little bit more for your drink but um but you it's worth it for the experience it really is yeah and so anyway kl was cool then from there i flew to colombo sri lanka i picked sri lanka because i had been reading this article uh that summer i i love the new york times and it was one of those if you were to visit somewhere and you had what I think it's thirty six hours in, what all should you uh, do? Yeah, they do yeah. those things. Yep. And they had thirty six hours in Colombo, Sri Lanka, and I was reading about. It. I was like, "This is." You were like, "I want to go do this." So I pretty much did everything that was in there. I went and saw where they filmed "Hungry Like the Wolf," the Duran Duran video, the bar we filmed it at. Um, you know, I nerd out on crap like that. That's I went, so weird. I went to the house where. Uh, 
Conan Doyle wrote, uh, was it 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah. Um, I Just a bunch of little things like that. But if, if anyone's curious, go search that New York Times, what is it? I think it's 36 Hours in Sri Lanka, and you can literally see what I did. And Hansa Coffee. Yeah. I bought a ton of their coffee. It was so good. Yeah, wow. Um, and so while I was there, I told them, I was like, yeah, I saw you all, read about this New York Times thing, and they thought that was really great. And uh, so they showed me around their, um, uh, wow. where, they, where they roast the coffee yeah, and everything. Yeah, the and excellent beans are shade grown. Yep, it was so good. And they, they had chocolate as well, and I brought bunch of that back and uh and then I met this really cool dude uh, who I was chit-chatting with and he uh took me around and showed me all around Colombo. I rode around with him in his car and uh and then interestingly enough while I had when I was doing that trekking back in Vietnam I yeah. met these really awesome uh, Canadian guys they were 18 they just finished uh, high school and so we were doing this trek with the company it was just the three of us on our thing and so I, I'd spent like what four days with them out in the wilderness and they were so cool and I still uh, chat with both of them on social media I mean I still know them and this was you know nearly 10 years ago they're grown ass adults the now and they were just really great they were just really That's great so guys cool. and um, so they we really clicked and they had wanted to like follow along and go to Sri Lanka but Canadians required a visa and they uh, couldn't get that at that time yeah. they later ended up they were in Southeast Asia for like three months and at some point they did make it to Sri Lanka and I'd hooked them up with the guy that I had met at the coffee shop and so he had Cause taken it, them all around yeah. the country wow. and hooked them up with like a kind of like a safari-ish thing up in the can candy k-e-n-d-y region and wow. so they went up there and i'm always really good at like keeping in touch with people yeah. i meet along the way and it's made so much easier like used to it was like writing letters yeah i was big into being a pen pal and, so was uh, i i had a pen pal in new york nice it seems so far away you know there's those are the kind of things that helped me realize the world was a lot bigger than Maryville, Tennessee. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wait, so you just kind of went all over the world. All over the world. You know, I love to travel. I think traveling is, traveling is one of the most important things a person can do to accept other people. You learn how to be a strange person in a strange land. Mm -hmm. You you learn how to sit quietly in your discomfort because uh, when i was in sri lanka it was the most interesting thing a bit a, a couple of years after i had visited it got really popular with people going. yeah when i went there i remember so i was there for what is three and a half days and it wasn't until the third day i was there that i saw another white person and cool. it was really weird it was you, really cool, interesting, and weird, and yeah. I stood out like a sore thumb everywhere I was. Now, yeah. keep in mind, I had, like, hair probably that was, like, four inches below my oh, shoulder. Oh, you had Jesus hair. I had Jesus. Yeah. The Pope had just come through Sri Lanka. Oh, God, here's a funny story within the story. 
I visited a week and a half after the Pope had come through. And I guess that would have been Benedict at the time, I yeah. think. And um, so here I have, like, I looked a little bit like Rasputin and a lot of it like White <laughs> Jesus. I had a really big beard and really long brown hair. And so my cab driver, when I had exited the airport in Colombo, he walked up to me, and I had this happen all over the world, and he was like, you look like Jesus. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So my cab ride from the airport, which should have taken like 30 minutes to yeah. me there, ended up taking an hour and a half because along the way he stopped at all of his buddies' houses and wanted them to meet me because I looked like Jesus. He thought it was such a good omen that the Pope had just come through and that someone who looked like white Jesus uh, was in his cab. And so, because he took so long... I hope you tipped so him long, really well. He refused to charge me. And... Uh, <laughs> what? So, and insisted that I call him for the ride back to the airport. Full disclosure, I did not call him for the ride back to the airport. Yeah, I feel like, because you would maybe be late for your flight. I was like, I can't do that. And I was like, wow. I had like a 3 a.m. flight. Oh, no, so. no. Oh, bless. But yeah, I got driven all around. And it was so... So interesting. So interesting. Now, here's another one. Like, these cultural tidbits. Like, while I was in Vietnam, and especially while I was uh, in the up in the north doing the hiking, I um, go into this, like, cultural... Uh, outdoor event yeah and because so, it was really close to Tet while I was there yeah. so uh, I had gone to this and something I had to get used to really fast is I had to keep my arms by my side I'm used to like here you know Talking I'm with just your like hands. Yeah. Well, I couldn't talk with my hands and I couldn't leave my arms out at all because everyone was so short and I'm so tall I was punching people <laughs> or I was hitting people in the face with my elbow <laughs> oh my gosh man okay so here's a question um did you travel when you were in like pre-college much in high school or with your family did y'all travel much we always did lots of small weekend trips and things okay. like but not like not like out of the country stuff or? my first trip out of the country was my graduation present from high school okay and you know I did that and that's kind of like what started uh, I guess the I, bug yeah the bug yeah. I mean I was always the thing that really got me interested in seeing the universe was my fourth grade teacher mrs. Cowan yeah uh, on some Fridays, she would do, oh God, this is back in the slides. She'd do a oh, slide yeah, yeah, yeah. show, like the projector Are slide you... thing. <laughs> okay. And her husband was a minister, and so they would do missionary work around the world. And so she would oh. set her projector going and show us pictures of all the places around the world she'd been. Which is amazing. And to see, like, it was so as cool. a child. As a little country kid, get yeah. to see this stuff. So, and now I understand it was a way of, like, yeah, killing time. Right. But, but uh, well, me, maybe, though, because, I mean, I think that it could be a way of killing time while also actually utilizing things to mm -hmm. spark interest in the greater world. That's really... 
Oh, it really was. And you know, it was like, well, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about teaching. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like a, a, you know, I'm an adjunct. I teach intro to marketing mm-hmm. and also teach a mini term. Um, it's like a principles of economics class, but it's a specific mini term. It's the last half of the fall semester. And it's given out free to people uh, who, it's to curb attrition, it's people who have, to get them to matriculate back into the school. So people who recently left, it's like, here, we will give you a book. Come back, come to this this, class, see how it works. And so my goal is to. That's brilliant. Yeah, I was asked to teach it by the uh, head of the business school. You're. So and you're working basically to get people reinvested in learning. And so, yeah, I take it very seriously on getting teaching people how to learn, yeah. but also how to engage in a class. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, the the big the overarching goal for the class is to get them to come back, right? Right, right. But my real goal in this is to teach people that they know how to learn. They mm-hmm. just have to kind of activate that it's 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 like any other muscle basically like I think of it the same you know we have to utilize muscles so that they don't atrophy yeah Yeah. and I think that learning is the same if you're not actively pursuing learning in some degree your brain gets out of the practice of and I'll ask them like as like in our first class because, you know, I never dilly-dally in any of my classes. We literally hit the ground running first day. Oh, I'm like, shocked by that. Like, shocked, let me tell you. Yeah. I'm Gosh. like, here's the roadmap. And I will reach out to them in the student portal through Blackboard ahead of yeah. time and be like, review the syllabus because we start day one. Yeah. And our first day of econ, I will go through and I'll ask everyone, like, what may... When did you leave and what was it that pulled you away and it doesn't yeah. take a rocket scientist most people nine out of ten are there's money yeah I couldn't afford to do this yes. and work because the I teach the school I teach at at Mercy College is an HSI mm-hmm. and uh, so 73% of our student body is uh, Hispanic or Latino, Latina, Latinx. Wow, cool. And um, I think white folks make up like 10% of the student body, um, African American and black students, and African students, because I have yeah. always have a number of students from, from African Africa. countries. Wow. And uh, generally Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, um, and so, you know, it's really like many times I'm either the only or one of two or maybe three uh, white people in my That's, class. So it's really, yeah. it's really cool. Issue is the school I teach at is in New York. I teach right. for the New York City campus, but they're based in, it's Mercy College. They're yeah. based in Dobbs Ferry, which is just up the Hudson. But I teach for the business school, which is in Manhattan. And... Uh, but, and they have a Bronx <laughs> campus as well. And a lot of my students end up, because t- I teach remotely, and a lot of my students live in the Bronx or areas around it yeah. and are taking the remote classes. And uh, 
you know, it's just it's just a lot of it's a lot of poor folks who were struggling to get a degree so they can get a better job. And uh, yeah. And so, you know, I go really out of, I guess this is storytelling as well with yeah, this yeah, yeah. story. And uh, so, uh, you know, and again, it, you know, it's really meaningful teaching because it's one of those ways where um, you, so I never wanted, and I don't imagine at this point in life I will have children, but the way I get to like leave that lasting impact on the world around me is to teach. Yes. I. So we are kind of on the same page. Um, and I, uh, I like to say that I'm one of the best aunties out there because I will auntie the shit out of any child. Like I, and I will leave, that will be my lasting impression. (laughs) Just like, yeah. So it is so important. It's like, and I think that helping to, um, you know, helping to mold other people is, is a, a job in and of itself. Yeah. And so, yeah, and that's why I love teaching. It's so important to open people's eyes to stuff, uh, to help them lo- learn to look at life from a different lens or how to remove themselves from the way they've always reviewed it. So, okay, so here, because uh, <coughs> earlier we were talking, you mentioned briefly activism. And so what I want to know is, how do because you do a lot of diversity and inclusion um, in your activism work, and I want to know how. Oh, where did where did that desire come from? Like you traveled a lot, and because of traveling, you met people of different ethnicities and cultures. And what? How did how did that? I think growing up as pick you into activism. Growing up as a gay man in the South, I <laughs> always... I don't know why I said <laughs> like that, because I do not have the experience of growing up as a gay man in the South, um, but continue. <laughs> but if you did, yeah. Yeah. So I think I always had this like understanding that I didn't exactly fit in, mm-hmm. and so it made me very attuned to... Uh, and I think it does many queer folks in the South. Like, you really have to pay attention. You have to know where you're safe and where you're not. And, and who you can trust. Yeah, and, and so you're... Yeah. You're, yeah. you're always sizing up every situation. You're like, all right, am I the full me or am I deluded me in this situation? You know, it's like what me gets presented mm-hmm. to for the safety of, you know, because that's the thing that so many folks will, uh, and I'm working back into your question, so many folks uh, will sometimes feel, or many times often feel, that they're not being their true self to not be out or whatever. And I'm like, no, you know, you can be proud and, but most importantly, you have to be safe. And so, there's nothing wrong with not being out if it's not safe for you to do so. No. And you should still be able to be proud of yourself. And um, so what, I guess, led me into all the DEI work that I do was just like kind of a, a lifetime of watching the world around me. I'm really yeah. big on watching 
and taking note of everything in details and uh, which is kind of funny because I think a lot of people think I have because I tend to come across as aloof but I'm also but I'm also very introspective I'm always thinking about things so yeah. being quieter folks assume that you know uh, you intentionally don't want to engage with them and I'm also an introvert actually yeah, that's so that's something that um, yes Which I am shocks too people they're but, like but the thing is is when you really think about I'll tell people I'm like to describe it I said listen the introversion and extroversion are kind of how you recharge yourself yes. And I said, you know, I can go do things. I can yell on megaphone in front of thousands of mm -hmm. people, but those things really drain me. I can yeah. do them, but I have to like flip a switch to do them. Yeah, the diversity, equity, inclusion stuff, it all came from, I think, uh, a family who always really had a firm grounding and uh, understanding what's what should be fair what should be right yeah and uh like caring for people caring compassion uh uh having a good moral compass yeah and you know this shit's hard those things yeah are, right yeah like, like when we were i'm doing leadership blunt and they paired mm -hmm. us off and we were interviewed by someone in our group and yeah. then we had to present what we learned about them later that day and one of the questions that the person asked me is what's the hardest thing you've ever done and I said become very intentional about my activism because it's cost me yeah. essentially the ability to get a job in my hometown yep. not that any of the jobs and the things I do really exist but well, the yeah, teaching yeah, potentially, yeah. and I'm and I'm working on that. I'd love to actually go teach at Maryville College, but um, but the other stuff, yeah, nobody. I mean, when you're loud and outspoken in a smaller town, yeah, like you can give hope to people, but God, but Megan, a lot like, of people won't hire you. Yes, no, like so. After I ran Jay Clark's 2018 State House District Eight campaign, um. And I'd been doing activism stuff before this. Like, I fought a Walmart that came, that in, didn't end up coming. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, after Jay's campaign, in January of 2019, for the kickoff of the legislative session, it coordinated with my 40th birthday. And so I walked from the Blount County Courthouse to Nashville, to the Capitol. I mean, I... I called it trekking because I did hitchhike some. I took an Uber at one point because it started piss pouring rain and lightning, and I was like, I'm not going to. But yeah, I, I, of that trip, I walked 70 miles, and and I had big signs on my pack on the front and on the front of me. Yeah. And it was, I was walking to raise awareness for heck? expansion of Medicaid and to stop school vouchers. So when I started on that trip, it was just after the campaign and, you know, being very loud and vocal about all this. And I was vice chair of the Democratic Party. And yeah. when I started that trip, I mean, I had my credit, you know, I had my American Express card, but I had $13 in my checking account. I turned 40 years old. 
Yep. I had $13 and maybe $400 in my savings account and I think I had a CD that I couldn't cash in and a 401k with Not less much. than $2,500 in yeah. it. And, and some stock, individual stock that was maybe worth $500, you know? Yeah. So I, I walked into 40 and I don't know, my net worth was probably five grand. I mean, yeah. it was horrific. Like I was just wow. making ends. What the heck, Nathan? And because focusing in on working in the campaign had drained my money and drained your energy drained my energy and made me unemployable yeah. in my hometown yep and because it was a very loud known quantity and I was uh, still plugging along on my uh, PhD and uh, I mean and I'll be clear it is very uh, honest I was living off of my student loans yeah yeah um, that is part of the reason I had gone back to get the masters and I literally had a two-week break I graduated from Penn State December 24th and I started the PhD two weeks later or two and a half weeks later Wow! and like you jumped from one to the other I knew if I didn't do it I wouldn't and uh, and I wasn't you know I was what 35 at the time yeah and I was like just do it while you've got it going but also keep doing it because I needed the money and wow uh, wow so then life started to fall into place because of doing it's weird so and and correct me if I'm wrong but one of the things I'm noticing is that there are people who don't want to hire me but there are also people who specifically do want to hire me for jobs um, because they know like what my values are and they align with them and so uh, that has been that's been an interesting thing for me you know I just started maybe you don't know this but I, I launched my own marketing business in January um, I have a couple of retainer clients I have um, several people that I'm working on brands with uh, one person that's going to be launching an online class um, another person that's working on a book like different stuff some nonprofit, some uh, retail store like there's all sorts of stuff right mm -hmm. and um, I think I have a campaign that I'll be working on um, next year that I'm excited about so like different stuff right and it has been really um, eye-opening to see, and this almost speaks, not in the same way, but um, like you're talking about as growing up as a gay man in the South, um, and there's you have to be careful like who you say what to. Mm -hmm. And I think until December of last year, I felt like I couldn't, I, I it's almost like I, came out as a liberal yeah um which well, is nowhere near to, the yeah. same but it is like it it reminds me of that in a much less um like i'm not going to be injured or threatened uh in the way that well not necessarily well that's true that's true but i think that there is a um a strong difference between being like a middle class white cishet liberal woman 
uh, versus being a gay man in the South. Like, I, you know, I, I think that my experience is probably more safe than certain people <laughs> would be, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Um, so I don't want to compare my experience in that way and be like, yes, I, I understand because I do not. He loves you. He loves you. Hey, Nathan, you're my best friend, but mom is really my favorite. Mwah. God, I love this dog. Um, but I guess to that point, it, you know, it's been interesting because there are people that don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the same person that I have been. I just... Some people don't like it when folks live their capital T truth, and that's mm-hmm. okay. It's been really interesting, and... Um, honestly, part of the goal of the podcast is that as we like talk about our stories and share stuff, everybody has commonalities. Yeah. And if we, you know, like we can find them. Well, but you know, in the society of fast information, loose facts, and it kind of comes back to the conundrum of when information is so readily accessible yet um it's hard to verify the drive to get more yeah more perfect information and to verify the robustness the authenticity the validity of the information makes people a little lazy but also hardens them so yeah we reach these points where here now where folks are afraid to have real conversations with other humans they'd yes. rather do it through through a computer through their phone through whatever through some other medium yes. because it allows them to be bolder in ways that they're not as human if you don't have to look someone in the eye right. when you're saying it you can forget that they are a person that you may be walking next to at the grocery store bingo and that's one of the things like you know back to politics um you know it's one of the things where like getting people to become engaged with the part like the democrat party in tennessee has a horrible branding problem a, a massive marketing issue and through our branding problem I'm chuckling over here because I know, I know. No, we do. And through this problem um, of not properly engaging with Democrats, we haven't also taught them how to behave, as it were. Like, so people think they can keyboard warrior their way into getting people elected. That's not how it works. Um, And they think that they don't have to do the things that are actually difficult. Right. The hardship's hard for a reason because it's effective. Yes. Well, and, you know, so I'll tell you this. Um, Who was I talking to recently that was so surprised? Um, When the Tennessee Three were ousted, um, I went up to the Capitol that day. I know I saw you. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the moment I was like, yep, Nathan and I are, we are friends. This is... Like, I know we've been at a few meetings together, but no, now I'm, we are in alignment here. Oh, um, you know, I'm, well, I can't ever miss a good protest. Right. And um, 
I that was my first ever protest. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Ever. And um because they are scary. Yeah. Um, because I am a uh I'm a type one diabetic and so there's always this concern of like health and what could happen and if something happens with my blood sugar, oh what if I weird I mean not like I would do anything that would get me arrested because I'm kind of a rule follower but like (laughs) what if something happened and I got arrested and then my blood sugar went low or my blood sugar went high and what would happen and how do I I don't know how to get like bail what if I had to get bail who would I call do I know a lawyer I know like 12 lawyers that I've been told people would bail me out of jail I would like to never be in jail Personally, I know that some activists have that goal. Um, it is not mine. <laughs> uh, I think I do better outside of jail, personally. But I like that was my first protest, and uh, I was able to go because I had friends that talked me through it and told me, "Here's what you do to be safe. Here's what you need to take. Here's like you need to write down this." Blah blah blah. I had a friend that went with me. We stayed in a group. We ran into you and Afton and Chaz and like our people. Uh, Gus loves you too. This is Gus the cat, asparagus. Gus the cat at the theater door, also known as asparagus. Asparagus (laughs) and fish. Oh my gosh. That's literally what's happening right now. That's so funny. Well, anyway, so I guess the point is like, I don't even know where I was. Activism is scary. It's scary. scary. And so what we've got to get people to do, and it's back to the... Oh, that was it. Original. That was it. We think that people people are... They they think that keyboard warriorism... Is effective and it's not. And it's not. And that's, because, we've also seen that with get out the vote efforts. Yeah, it's just not... Cause I, and it's something I will challenge folks. It's, yeah. You think you're going to change somebody's mind? When's the last time your mind was changed by someone online? Right. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, yeah. I I can say that I've had very um, great conversations with people in private Facebook messages. Yeah, that's different, though. But, but shit posting on somebody's no, wall. Or, no, or getting in these, like, battles on of Facebook comments. And one of the other things, as marketing professionals, we know this, it also boosts the algorithm. For So if someone comments, posts something problematic... And then you engage in this comment war on there. How many people are going to see it? Mm-hmm. Versus if you had ignored it. Yep. And and that's... I just... Anyway. To yeah. that point, keyboard warriors ain't it. No. Like... Because for all the doors I've knocked... You know, I've been yelled at. I can still count on one hand. Um, right. And... We're not going to be able to change hearts and minds until folks are willing to speak to their neighbors with whom they share a community. Right. And I'm like, you have to get comfortable speaking to people who you live around. Yes. And yes. And have have real conversations real that are ones. in good faith. Yeah. Too. Not one where you're I don't I don't think the conversations where we approach it being like, we're going to change your mind. No. It more has to be... um, You've got to find your common ground. Mm -hmm. And then... Because it's like one of... 
a recent conversation uh, was discussing uh, women's reproductive freedom. Yeah. Uh, actually, it was yesterday, and with someone and who does who's very uh, different in their political views than I am. Got it. Okay. And. So I said, all right, hang on, let's walk this through. So we kind of broke all the issues down. I was like, so do you believe, I, I can't remember exactly how I did it. It was kind of masterful, but I can't remember <laughs> at the moment. Um, but at the end, we discovered through this like 30-minute conversation that we agree on everything. Yeah. And except for just a handful of things, I said, here's the problem. I said, you listen to buzzwords or you've listened to... Yeah. You, you've listened to alt-right media and propaganda to the point where you just say that you disagree with something. I said, there was one minute issue in here you disagreed with. Everything else, we're all on the same page on this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and you're really conservative. Isn't it? I was like, why, where's the disconnect here? Why can't, and I was like, have you ever had a conversation in person with someone who vehemently disagreed with you on this? He said, no, this is the first time I've ever done it. And I was like, yeah. well, this is why you have to do them because you're going to understand that you agree a lot more than you don't. Wasn't there something recently where it, it was like the numbers were run and Gloria Johnson votes with, Republicans on like eighty percent of stuff. Yeah. It is a, a a majority of the time and a significant majority, like eighty twenty, right? Because um, a big portion of the bills that come through are for the greater good of Tennessee. Yeah. It's just these handful of things. Yes. Usually against LGBTQIA plus folks, against uh, poor people, against gerrymandering, black and brown, gerrymandering. Yeah. Guns, uh, you know, if it's gays, guns, or God, you know, that's reproductive where it's rights. Diverge. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Okay. If if a get out the vote tactic was personified, what get out the vote tactic would I be? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are a billboard ad. Ha! <laughs> what kind of billboard ad? There are multiple kinds. Am I a positive one? A negative one? A snarky one? No, I think you're. I think for yours, you would just be a positive billboard ad. Like excellent. That just, you know, get out. Get yours would be kind of just like G O T V. Hopefully with fuchsia. Oh yeah, I I see it as. It would be that, and actually would have your picture on there wearing, like, some kind of pink. It could have the, it's me, hi, I'm good trouble, it's me shirt. Me with a big thumbs up. G-O-T-V, go, vote, go. Oh, God. Just like, go, balls, go. Right? You're cut off. I know. Okay, so you, I have decided, are borage. And borage is an edible flower. And it's also like, I don't know, the size of 
Um, probably like the size of a middle fingernail. Looking at my nails to determine the size. And it's periwinkle blue. Um, what am I again? Borage. 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 It's an edible Rhymes flower. Porridge. It does rhyme with porridge, but it's spelled B-O-R-A-G-E. So borage also has antioxidant properties that can help promote wound healing and repair the skin's natural barrier, effectively treating skin infections, etc., etc., etc. So what I'm going to say is that the reason I chose this was not just that I randomly decided it, but it was actually that by doing activist work, what you are doing is to help heal wounds and protect the skin's natural barrier with your antioxidant slash activist properties. Okay. It's really weird. No, you know, but it it's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. I dig that. You know, a lot of this work, not only... I think it's there are multiple reasons people do this work. Yeah. And... You know, I want a better world, mm -hmm. too, but I'm also trying to work through my own shit, too, yeah, yeah. in doing this work. And working through my own biases, working through my own issues in the world around me. Yep. And, you know, and sometimes I'm just doing this work because I'm just trying to learn to love myself. I think that that's probably why a lot of people start getting involved and then it shifts and adjusts over time right mm -hmm. but like I think that part of like when I I grew up very Christian conservative um as part of the nature of growing up in Lenore City Tennessee like um and I don't think that there is anything wrong with that like mm -hmm. I had a great upbringing. My parents were wonderful. I like I was very hashtag blessed for lack of a better term. But um, you know, it was in college. I think I had I had friends that came out and uh, were treated pretty poorly by the communities that we were part of, and that was a that was a turning point for me because I looked at like. And not to bring religion into it necessarily, but I looked at the Jesus that I had grown up hearing about. And then I looked at the way that people were treating my friends who were part of the church community and um, who I thought were doing excellent work trying to love others. And uh, they were ostracized and treated really poorly. And that was a... A bit of a wake-up call for me and then even more than that I would say that and I, I hate this because it's so recent but George Floyd yeah that was and and COVID watching the way that people acted and and seeing them go from like we care about each other to never mind we don't this is it's too hard for me to wear a mask yeah, I know like, you're immunocompromised, I but I can't. I I had one person tell me that um, his rights shouldn't be infringed upon, to my face, that his rights shouldn't be infringed upon just because I was unhealthy. Um, 
and I'm a type 1 diabetic that I, you know, I use insulin because that's what happens when your pancreas produces no insulin. Um, and I, it, it just, it's been rough. And I do think that's part of why I got involved because I was like, wow, if I'm being treated this way, I can't imagine how much harder it is for people in worse situations. And then there's empathy and then you see practicing radical empathy and how uh, it's rough it is it is rough and you know I think that we all end up like it's kind of if you think of it like uh, the way a gyroscope works yeah. you know it's like you're following a path, but you're going to bounce around a little bit on yeah, the path. Yeah. Like, and it's kind of how all of this is, where in this journey of politics, it's also self-discovery, too, yeah. and so many other things. But I think one of the things for which I'm most thankful um, post-Trump is it really did change who I hang out with. Uh, between that and the pandemic, like over it, the yes. last, uh, over the last, what is that, seven years? Yeah. Um, yeah, the people I spend my time, I'm very intentional in how I use yes. my time, be it the things I put my energy into, the people I share my time with, yeah, and um, and maybe that's a you know maybe it's a part of aging too. You know, mid forties is like by no means am I saying I'm old, but I have a real understand. Yeah, I can I mean, see just... that I have lived more of my life than I probably have left to live. Yeah, that makes and sense. And I still probably have a long time. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but even if I do at this point, even if I do live to ninety, you know, there's probably going to be diminished. A couple of those years, you're not going to be able to go hiking. So yeah, it's like yeah, it, you've got to really kind of make it count. And yeah. Yeah. so, spending time with people who just consume you, like. You can't pour from an empty cup. And yeah. so I just... You have to find the, the people that And I've noticed you, a lot of folks have done that. People who lift you up. I will tell you... So I sang a few weeks ago. I sat in with a, a swing band that was playing in town and sang a song. And Nick recorded some... Videoed some of it. And I posted it. And... Um, I had all of these people didn't know I I sing, um, which is bizarre to me because pre-COVID I toured around the southeast with a swing dance band and made at least a third of my income on gigs, and I kickstarted a CD and I have like I'm on Spotify like I have a whole that was a huge part of my life. People just don't even know that 
I'm a, I'm a jazz vocalist. Like that's, <laughs> that's a huge part of who I am, but nobody knows that. And I, I think that one of my switches over the past few years has been, I've, I've traded in a lot of music for, um, politics and activism work. And I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in finding that intersection where I can engage in both. Um, but it's, it's just now getting to a point where that feels feasible. So I don't know. It's weird, right? Life is weird. It is. You know, from the outside, because I'll have people, you know, I'll, I'll share things about myself, and there's always new things people what? I'm like, oh, like me, if you look at 30,000 like, feet at everything I do, you can see a straight line drawn through all of it. Yeah. Because um, it, it all comes down to, I, you know, I'm a teacher at right. the end of the day. Everything's about education, informing, sharing of information. Like I... Encouraging the learning. The storytelling I do. Yeah. Everything, everything is about transfer of knowledge right and uh you know i do mentorship work with bunches of different things uh always trying to help to uh empower the next generation because mm-hmm. i don't want to do this stuff forever no. either and there's a time limit on uh, yes and and my you know and there comes a point where everyone has trouble being culturally relevant and so we've got to make sure that you know and to be clear I look around at our state executive committee and there are people who don't understand that they're no longer culturally relevant and I know it sounds bad to say however it's entirely true it's like Time and things have moved past your value system. Yes. Well, is a very big reason why people like me and you mm -hmm. feel a bit left behind in the greater Democratic Party. Or not left behind, not even picked up to begin with. Yeah, that's bold progressives. And one of the things that I'll say too is even looking like, um, you know, we were on the youth young engagement call the other night and I talked to Farah. Mm-hmm. And then this past Monday, um, at the protest, Farah was there, uh, Walker and Will were there, George was there, and they're with all of the young dim, uh, college dim, high school dim groups here in Tennessee. And that, to me, I was just like, man, this is like, and I'm still technically a young dim, I'm 35 and under. Um, but like I'm looking at the Farahs of the world, and how can we, that how can sure. we build this so that they can come in and they don't have to do as much work to build it up. It is ready for them to just dive in and take off running. Do you know the issue, my goodness, that power never acquiesces; it always has to be fought for. And wouldn't it be nice if we were able to gracefully? Transition, power. yes, because we don't see that. We don't. We don't see that present. But I mean, I don't it, think we see that anywhere. anywhere. I don't. I can't think of any, not just within Democratic Party, but period. Well, I mean, Donald I don't, Trump right now, you know, is yeah, the aftermath of refusing to acquiesce, right? Um, you know, we see it in. It it makes me think of the idea of gracefully aging. Yeah, 
and like allowing yourself to just gracefully age you don't have to not that there's anything wrong with getting botox thank you i'm sure you can see the daggers no i my glasses are on top of my head so i can't but like there's nothing wrong with botox or with dyeing your hair or whatever but but the idea of never wanting to allow yourself to age at all I think that we have like there's there's something beautiful about it we should do it and with that should also be the realization that um as we grow older we have a lot of wisdom to offer and if we can offer that gracefully and help build people up then it the system will continue to develop in a way that is so much healthier than if we hold on to it like it's just yeah yeah so I have a final question for you um if people want to get involved specifically in regards to activism what would be like three quick tips or alternately what is like the biggest thing that you could tell someone to do if you're wanting to become an activist, here is my hot take with three quick tips. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Number one, look up Indivisible. If you're here in Tennessee, make that Indivisible Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And also our partner organization, Change Tennessee. Yes. And we can help guide you through how to engage with protest, with contacting your uh, elected officials, and how to feel comfortable and safe in doing all these things. Number two, never, ever, ever go to a protest alone. Right, right. And um, this is 2A. Great. 2A is... Never, ever, ever go to a protest with the intention of getting arrested. No. (laughs) Ever. Don't do that. No. Because there are lots of people behind the scenes who are planning. Arrest should only be strategic. And if you are going on your own, the worst thing that can happen is you not having the systems in place to get you out. Right. Safe. Number three, vote. Oh, yeah, okay, that's true. Yeah, Voting is way more radical than you think it is, yeah. especially in a state that is simply red because voters don't show up. Right. So though that's my hot take, the three things. Vote, reach out to like-minded organizations, and they will help connect you to other ones. And three, turn out to protest, but do it safely and take care of yourself while you're doing it. Awesome. Cool, okay, so anything else? Mm-mm. Anything you wanna share with the class? Uh-huh. Cool, okay, on the count of three, we are one, two, three, done. We speed without a course Till I can take no more We could drown Thank you for joining us for episode 14 of Story Garden Pod. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll subscribe and follow along as we dig into a new set of stories each episode. Want to connect with Nathan? Find him on Twitter and Instagram at jnathanhigden. And don't forget to follow Indivisible Tennessee too. Special thanks goes out to musician Mia Rago for use of her song Tension, which can be found on streaming platforms or by visiting miarago.com. That's M-I-A-R-A-G-O.com. And I'm going to go out on a limb here because I appreciate every single musician that lets me share their music with my listeners, but wow, I really love her stuff. Please be sure to check her out because it's really cool to support Story Garden Pod financially. Become a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com backslash storygardenpod. We'll be sharing extra stories, special cocktail recipes, and more, so don't miss it. And finally, did you enjoy today's episode? If so, leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your reviews help us reach a wider audience, share more stories, and build an even stronger community. Again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the garden.